So, I don't know about you guys, but in my opinion, Harry Potter's a sorcerer because it's in his blood. I mean, he goes to school to learn how to control it, but it's in his blood. We've got X-Men, which I'm sure I'm going to bring up multiple times in this in this mm-hmm. podcast. I wasn't on the no. last Sorcerer episode. So, uh, I've got a lot of thoughts. <laughs> I've got a lot of opinions. It's building up. And, um, it's been a while since we covered Sorcerers. Yeah, it was, uh, yes, it's been about 30 episodes or so, I think. Mm. But I'm sitting here looking at it going... From pop culture, what is the what is the best sorcerer hmm. in your mind? Uh, what's your favorite? Um, let's not even roll initiative on this. Um, Lily, you're the guest. Do you want to start off? Who's your favorite sorcerer from pop culture? Well, you started off by mentioning Harry Potter. And as soon as I saw this question, I'm like, okay, who's my favorite sorcerer of all time? Probably would be a character from Harry Potter because Harry Potter is my favorite sorcery story of all time. And my favorite character from Harry Potter was Draco Malfoy. So Draco Malfoy is my favorite sorcerer from pop culture. Also, I don't super support J.K. Rowling anymore. Just want to make that known for the record. But (laughs) all-time favorite, still love Draco Malfoy. Oh, you're Slytherin then, hey? Oh, yeah, for sure. I have so much Slytherin paraphernalia. It's kind of ridiculous. I've got, like, a hoodie. I've got, like, a hat. I've got, like, a bathrobe. I'm all about that snake life, you know? (laughs) It makes me feel bad because I'm I'm definitely a Hufflepuff. I'm, like... Oh. And, like... Somebody nobody can deny. Yeah, somebody told me that Hufflepuff was a stoner house, and then I was like, ah, it'd be like a Slitherpuff because the Slytherins are so cool, but the Hufflepuffs are so chill. Uh, so Dan, who what what's yours? What's your favorite sorcerer? Okay, so I I went a slightly different path with this one, and uh, you you mentioned Harry Potter, mm-hmm. um, and and uh, X Men, but let's be completely honest, the Jedi are also yeah sorcerers, and my favorite Jedi from from at least the expanded universe. Way back when, when the books mattered, was uh, Kit Fisto. He's he's by and large my favorite Jedi in the lore. I'm not even so, touching that. What's his name? Kit Fisto. I don't Fisto. even know who that Fuck is, off. but that kind of honestly oh sounds God. like a board. Je- okay, porn star generic name. Jedi Knight A would be a great <laughs> like, porn star a, name, though, right? Kit Fisto. Yes, oh, thank fantastic you. Fantastic porn star name. <laughs> Just either that or like Mace mm. Windu. You can never go wrong with Samuel Jackson. Mm-hmm. So, um, what about you, Adam? What you got? Uh, I was also thinking about Jedi as well, mm. and that like was a big a big deal for me. But all right, bear with me for a second because I think the internet's about to scream. Based on their bloodline and getting all of their powers, my favorite sorcerer of all time is Thor. Ah. Um, I have okay. <laughs> the internet's not just going to scream at you. You're about to have two co-hosts uh, also scream at I'm you. I'm gonna add what you. the shit, Adam. Come at me. What you got? He's a god. You don't define gods as sorcerers. He's an alien. We're not covering divine soul sorcerers today. Yeah, and it's like more than Thank just God. a divine soul. He's a full-out god, like listed in the mythology as a full-out god, son of Odin. No, yeah, I, he's, he just lives on another planet. He's over there. He's no different than Superman or E.T. Hmm. But we still worship I, him as a god. I mean, like, you know, the Vikings did. So. Well, there are people that listen to this podcast that worship me as a god. So Are there, though? That, what does that make? There is nobody, <laughs> nobody that does that. Not a single one. I get I get messages throughout the week about people saying, Adam keeps on saying I have to bow down and worship him. I yeah. right, but I, I would say, like, the lack of combat prowess means definitely not with thor like if we're just going mechanics thor is definitely not a sorcerer mm. if anything he's a warlock mm-hmm. because Ooh. who Ooh. who 
Well, think about it this way. He's a Hexblade Warlock with this magic hammer that was gifted to him by his dad. And when Dan, he's not you're wasting worthy, your breath. We've his got powers like 10 get... minutes of this already. I know, but you, you, you're the one that opened this can of worms, you jackass. Yeah, I just want you all to know that I'm pretty sure in the, you know, written things about deities and when they give examples of pantheons of the gods, Thor is listed there. Oh, God. yeah, in D&D, absolutely. He's listed as one of the, I think it's a cleric god. So, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I am I'm fully aware of that. I just like to put Dan on tilt sometimes <laughs> to start an episode. He does, he does this just to get me right. You gotta do it. Welcome to the It's a Minute podcast with your amazing panel of DMs. Welcome to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast, the roundtable Dungeons and Dragons discussion where you never know what you're going to get. I'm Adam, and with me today are Dan and Lily. We have a special guest star. Yay! I'm special. Yay! Today we're talking about sorcerers again, but before we launch into any of that, who is Lily? What makes her tick? Tell us. Tell us all about yourself. I can't tell you what makes me tick because I am under a non-disclosure agreement, but (laughs) I will tell you what makes me spark, and I love sparking stories. I love playing D&D. I'm the girl with many lives. I stream basically all the time, a variety of D&D and TTRPG. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Lily Sparks with an X, and I'm super excited to be here today. We are super excited to have you as well. Like This is exciting. You are our first like legit guest star i don't know what does that mean that i'm legit or like this guest slot is legit because i was really hoping this podcast was legit but if it's not i'm still here for it but just tell me now (laughs) i can't can that just be a yes like yes Yes. yeah (laughs) yes definitely like we all sat down and and we've all been part of the same community in the instagram world of DD nerds for quite a mm-hmm. while now and the opportunity came up for us to have Lily on and we're super excited to have you here and and hopefully this is the first of many guest spots by uh of course you and and others as well like all of our other buddies and whatnot that are on this uh D Instagram world that we're oh yeah in. for sure and hopefully they're like even better than me and I can just lead off a chain reaction of exponentially better and better guests for you I'm, I'm glad to be the foundation to kick this off one day it'll be Chris Perkins, I oh, swear. Oh, yeah. I swear, one day it'll be Chris yeah. Perkins. And then one day I'm going to be more famous than Chris Perkins? You know, if you listen to this podcast, he's not coming anywhere near us. Hmm. I don't know. He seems like a fun guy. He seems like he likes to party. I think I've been a little critical more than once on the podcast. <laughs> oh, once or twice. <laughs> All right, let's jump into into sorcerers now. First and foremost, these are the guys that have the innate magical powers that come from deep within. There's no studying. There's no higher being. There's no playing an instrument. There's no talking to trees. These guys, they, they get their powers from deep within themselves. This is a pretty standard trope that we see through pop culture all of the time. And I like it, but to a degree. I think it gets overplayed. I think it's very easy for sorcerers to just be the Mary Sue. The person's just good at everything because yeah. we need to look baby yoda was a sorcerer and by the end of the of the first season of mandalorian i was like yeah okay i know this looks dire the baby's just mm-hmm. gonna do something to get him out of it by the mm-hmm. end anyway this is probably the first time that i've seen actually i'd say that there have been other examples it's one of the best uh lore and and pop culture areas that have handled sorcerers as far as scaling and keeping them in balance with everyone else do you guys like playing sorcerers i do i 
Yeah. Love it. <laughs> yeah. Um, they, they are my probably second most common class I play behind mm-hmm. barbarians. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, they're probably one of my most pop. I like to multi-class them, which I know we'll get into later, but I just love having a bit of that font of magic is real great to draw upon. Really? I got to say, it's great to have someone else that multi-classes finally on this Woo! podcast because I get no end of shit from like Adam and everyone else are like, just go to level 20. Just, why can't you just go to level 20? I'm like... Because two levels of fighter, man, action surge. Like, why, why the not? The game is about more than levels. Exactly. But to be fair, I have no idea because I never get to be a player. However, Dan is setting something up for me to play in, which I'm super excited Ooh. about. And yeah, yeah. I'm going with a human sorcerer. Oh, yeah. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, so that's coming for me. So I'm actually really excited about this class as well. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I was looking into, because, you know, we flip open Xanathars, and this is the big Xanathar Sorcerer episode. It starts off right at the beginning talking about how there's distrust among the populace when it comes to sorcerers because they're innately magical, mm-hmm. which surprises me. I mean, again, I never get to play classes. I expect that kind of thing for warlocks and rogues. And even barbarians to a degree as well. Does that track for you guys? Do you, when you build a sorcerer, do you have that basic level of, of mistrust kind of in the back of your mind? Or is that is that new flavor in Xanathar? Uh, I think that that depends a lot on the style of D&D that you're playing. So a lot of the games that I run, there's a lot of homebrew and a lot of DMs that like to write their own stuff. So I've never experienced it myself, but I do understand that general thinking because you see it a lot in literally the media everywhere it's like ooh, someone has innate power that makes them better than me i hate them and then there's you know the the mob and the pitchforks yeah people are often suspicious of those with innate magical powers unless everyone has innate magical powers the campaigns i tend to run are usually fairly high magic campaigns Mm -hmm. the concept of a sorcerer and and those innately gifted with magic isn't isn't a rare thing in my worlds typically other than bards they're the charisma caster who lets everybody know that they've got power. They're shunned because they're jerks more than anything else, not necessarily because they have power, but just because they're fairly braggadocious with everything. Just the way the character is played, you mean, more so? Yeah. I don't know. Whenever I play uh, high charisma things, I fight the urge to have the guy just show up. Let me roll a deception check. Let me roll persuasion. Let me roll deception again. Let me deceive you about persuading you. <laughs> yeah. When, whenever I think of like the prejudice, I, mm. I, I almost immediately go to like the races side of things and like, the eternal conflict between mm-hmm. elves and dwarves and, and dwarves and orcs and all this other stuff. But when it comes to the classes themselves, I, I warlocks are the only ones that I go, oh yeah, everyone hates those guys. <laughs> yeah, okay. I mean, it does say as well in Xanathars that sorcerers can overcome these preconceptions by consistently doing good deeds that help and benefit other people. And sometimes they're actually met with celebration if their powers are expected, as opposed to banishment if they're not expected. And so it, it really leads you by the nose to say, hey, this sorcerer and their backstory is really tied to their origin. I mean, it's right in the freaking title of the subclass, right? Mm. The idea that this is all about where you come from. And I feel like the sorcerers really breed the idea of having a solid background and backstory. Yeah, and I wonder if some of the suspicion depends on the kind of sorceress origin that someone has like would someone be a bigger fan of a divine soul sorcerer than like a storm sorcerer or how would that even work you yeah know? you have you have the one like uh dragon dragon blooded sorcerer who uh mm-hmm. whose powers manifest during like a family dinner and all of a sudden they've got growing claws and spewing acid across the table like that doesn't happen at your family dinners that's an average thanksgiving for me dan oh <laughs> 
but like that guy's going to be held to a much different like social standing than the divine soul sorcerer who's glowing and radiant and heals people by looking at Mm -hmm. them so would you guys say though that there's then a huge difference between the subclasses oh yes yeah yeah and I, i think the subclasses here uh carry with them a lot more weight than other classes subclasses would like a barbarian's paths are less of an impact of society's response to this character than a sorceress origin is to a sorcerer Mm -hmm. and one of the things that i find really interesting about the different sorcerers origins is that they're all very unique not only mechanically but from a role-playing and storytelling point of view like Depending on what your sorcerer's origin is, it can completely shape a backstory or how you view your character or even a morality kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. See, the sorcerers that I've seen have been the upright standing paragon of good. Or I've got a UNT sorcerer in my evil campaign that is just Hmm, the slimiest, most evil and self-centered person as well. Mm -hmm. And it fits, Mm -hmm. right? One of them shadow. The evil is shadow. And the good is draconic. Mm. And, but but it makes sense to me, right? Mm. Like, you guys are right. Each one of these subclasses really has its own flavor. But let's get into what we can do to make mm-hmm. it even more unique. And that's looking into these suggestions for backgrounds and backstory aspects from Xanathars. So before we do that, Adam, just yep. before we do that, um, Lily, I'm not sure what your experience uh, was in regards to like 3.5 and previous editions of D&D. Do, Zero. Do you have it? Zero? Okay. None. <laughs> Um, just the 3.5 nerd in me needed to say this, uh, at the, at the top of the sorcerer side in, um, like the section in Xanathar's there's a, and this is with all the other classes. There's a quote usually by a person who belongs to that class Mm -hmm. for the sorcerer subsection, the quote, uh, practice and study are for amateurs. True power is a birthright by Hennet, the scion of Tiamat. Hennet was the iconic, like, the guy whose picture was next to Sorcerer in 3.5. <laughs> so That's it's amazing. it's a really fun little, like, subtle callback to the previous edition here that I nerded out over. Aw, I'm so happy for you. Yeah, so Damn I, I, I just needed to say that. I didn't know where else I was going to fit that in. So like, before we get started, I need, yes. to, I need to say this. Dan and three other people on the internet absolutely cheered when they read that. <laughs> I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. I'm happy for them. Let them have their thing. You did it. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, let's jump into uh, the first thing I want to talk about, which is, of course, the arcane origin. So first and foremost, it really sets up the idea that if you didn't get it from the kind of subclass you're in, this is about where do you come from? Where do your powers come from? And I mean, the draconic bloodline is really straightforward, but I've, so is the divine soul, but I feel like the rest of them are very open to interpretation. Mm-hmm. And you could even, with the draconic bloodline or the divine soul, flip it on its head if you wanted. So mm-hmm. it asks, you know, is it a distant relative, a cosmic event, or just simply blind chance that gave you your powers and if the sorcerer doesn't know it even says the dm might reveal that to them throughout the campaign Mm -hmm. which is just as a dungeon master so much fun (laughs) but i don't know how many players are going to just want to hand over their entire backstory to a dungeon master and say yeah go nuts do your thing Mm -hmm. that's awesome from a dm standpoint but they they have their yeah i was just gonna say i mean i know we're gonna get into details later but i am gonna reveal here because i don't know if my player watches this podcast but if they do then they'll get a little spoiler alert 
I have a game going right now on the Gilding Light channel with Satine Phoenix, and one of my characters, or one of my players, is a storm sorcerer who had a whole backstory and stuff, but I added this layer of multiverse thing to it. We introduced a concept of a legend called the Storm of All Worlds on Sunday, so it's a storm that rages on constantly throughout all of the multiverses that exist. The infinite dimensions, there's always this one storm. It's gonna turn out in the end that my player is that storm, and his character was born from the storm of all worlds. So I'm super excited oh, that, for that. That is so badass. That's yeah, so cool. I'm super pumped. <laughs> so I just had to sneak that in. That was my nerding out <laughs> moment. We all get one. All right, I'm, I'm going to hold off on mine. Save it. Let's look at, okay, so they give, they give us a D6 table again for the origins, right? And it includes, you know, the basic things, like I just said, distant relative or cosmic event or, you know, you just got lucky. But there were two that stood out to me. One of them could simply be reincarnation. You are the reincarnated version of a powerful being. Um, mm -hmm. Or you were bred in a vat by an alchemist. That's my favorite. That <laughs> yeah. one's my favorite. Yeah, yeah that, that one stands out to me. That would be super flavor, flavorful, uh, flavor flavorful for <laughs> either Eberron or Ravnica settings as well. Mm. Because they, they dabble in that kind of shit left, right, and center. You can find it in the Forgotten Realms, of course. But, but how creepy would it be? Oh, that... Yeah, that would be super creepy to just, to be freaking Neo in the Matrix waking up and sliding out of a pod. Ooh. I would go full, like, uh, Ultron with this and have your character be one of, like, a bunch of clones of an evil uh, sorcerer ah. who's active in the area. Mm -hmm. But you broke away from the magic of being bound to this guy's soul and have developed your own soul over time. So, like, you could roll up that edgelord character that never knew his parents, but that's because you didn't, never had parents. You're actually a clone who is still, like, generating this magical power because the big bad evil guy has been making clones for centuries or something like that. Like... There's so much uh, you can do with this. So Dan jumped the gun, but um, let's roll initiative mm -hmm. and come up with our own <laughs> unique thing. <laughs> um, and uh, we'll hold this initiative as we go through all of these. So uh, I got a 15. I got a 14. Uh, yeah, you both go first. I got a three. Okay. <laughs> um, so I I was going to say, all right, and this one is standard. I've seen this in games about three times where the sorcerer is not actually a sorcerer at all. And was a god mm -hmm. that secretly has power. And then at level 20, you unveiled it. They're either the big bad guy or the person that needs saving or the destined hero or whatever it is, right? But at no point were you actually immortal and you are not leveling up. You are just unlocking the innate powers that are inside you the entire time. Mm -hmm. I really like that, especially for the wild magic sorcerer who's always doing crazy shit. and doesn't yep. really have control. So I think that one's neat. Um, but Dan, nah, you see... You fucked with me on that. Now I'm thinking mm -hmm. about this, this, these clones, and I'm like, okay, all right, cool, I'm into it. But what if they're a hive mind, and this is oh. the one that broke from the hive mind? And then it has to encounter the rest of the hive mind, and it might get assimilated again. Exactly, oh, and this is badass. You yeah. can have some sort of of uh, twisted elder brain in them. Like, okay, all right, mm. I'm gonna, I'm canceling the podcast. I'm gonna go write down a campaign idea. <laughs> Well, we'll just do the podcast without you. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, God. Don't, what about you, don't, Lily? What you got? Don't tease Dan like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, what do I got? Well, I mean, I already told my awesome reincarnation of a being from another plane of existence story. So thanks for ripping me off, Xanathars. But <laughs> I really do dig this made in a vat by an alchemist one because I, I was kind of going where Dan was going with the clones. But my brain went to Waterdeep and it's actually like a guild, a.k.a. a corporation and they are making clones to be factory workers because they only have to pay one person's wages, the original. Oh, oh I like that. That you is know? vile. <laughs> I love it. And then one of them got away somehow and now has to pay, you know, is demanding their due wages. Did you guys ever see the movie Moon with Sam Rockwell? Oh, yeah. Good movie. I don't really yeah. remember it much, but yeah, I remember liking it. No, that in that one, I mean, spoiler alert. If and I'll give you a three, two, one, here it comes. Uh, it <laughs> turns out that he's alone. He's in isolation up on the moon, and he's doing his daily routine of the you know the science station and and keeping the lights on and and whatnot. And then he has to go out, and he runs into some sort of disaster, and someone else comes to save him. And it turns out that this is one of many different stations. And mm. all of them are clones, and they just keep killing him, so they don't have to retrain him, mm. and they kill him and clone him over and over yes. again. So, Smart. yes, I like that. <laughs> That's fun. Efficient. Uh, wow. Uh, as I've said before, in the last time we did sorcerers, I actually like the divine soul sorcerer. Boo! Um, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> the thing I would do is like with hex blades, you have like these weapons that are gifted from the gods. I would have this person having been created by some sort of divine entity for a very specific purpose somewhere down the line in the story that the party kind of inevitably will reach. Like the entire mm. plot of the story is going to reach this point where this person is going to be vitally important for that. Of course, give the player autonomy to do what they need to do, and I'm not exactly sure they would understand the breadth of their heritage, but having this divine entity create you as your own special race, and uh, and it all comes forward as, you know, you're vaguely half-orc in shape, so we were going to look like and, and behave like a half-orc. But you've got this divine energy within you and, and you get to play a bit of a demigod as well, mm. which is super fun. And I'm, I'm a big fan of like the Greek tragedies and, and all that stuff. So like the idea of playing like the son of a god or, or the creation of a god for this specific purpose has always tickled my fancy. So Dan, I got to um, say, like, I hear what you're saying and the character concept is cool, but I hate that for sorcerers. I, I just hate the divine soul. Yeah, uh, no, you you do. You you got a thing out for it. And I I don't know where else I would put this as as like maybe a celestial pact warlock, but that doesn't fit to me because you're beholden to your god whereas this character would have their own free will. There's so many Greek tragedies where you have these sons and daughters of the gods or and creations of the gods who straight up hate the gods, go out of their way to fight against this destiny that they know they have. And I mean, if this character's in my game, the idea of destiny and the fates and all of that is going to be heavily in this campaign. It might even be an interesting like sub race for an Azamar, you know what I mean? Yep. Like And cause... that's that's my problem, right? Because yeah. you're stepping on the divine soul sorcerer steps on the tone or on the toes of clerics and paladins and warlocks and even druids that commune with higher powers and all, they've got all this healing nonsense and they talk to their gods and and then uh, you have you have Asimars and you've got Janassi and you've got 
there are other places to get her. Why do we have to burn one of our five subclasses for Sorcerer on something that we can get somewhere else? It just So that sounded like a rhetorical question, and I see where you're coming from, and I totally get it. But I think that one of the things that's unique about the Divine Soul Sorcerer is that the others don't have, like, the Paladins and the Clerics, etc., etc., is there seems to be a level of Divine Intervention with Divine Soul Sorcerer. You know what I mean? Like, favored by the gods at first level. Your god will suddenly just step in and be like, oh, you can re-roll that, it's fine. You know, whereas I feel like the clerics and the paladins, they draw their powers from the gods, but there isn't necessarily that level of like built in mechanical god Favor. helping you out. Yeah, yeah exactly. But, but you get that directly from Warlock. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Uh, yes and no. I mean, like, again, uh, look, I'm going de- to derail this... the whole podcast. I've made my point. And, <laughs> and we, should, we should probably move on or we're going to do another It's a Mimic. Oh, I, I I think we had this argument the last time we did Divine Soul of like, there used to be a class called the Favored Soul is is what this yep. the Divine Soul is kind of hearkened toward. Mm. But that was a cleric subclass. So, mm. I mean, doesn't quite, I, I understand what you're saying, Adam. It doesn't quite fit here. But we've had this argument uh, before. So if, if you really want to dive into it, go listen to the Divine Soul episode. <laughs> Y'all need a debate club episode where everyone can just debate these kind of topics and you just come in and you have your formal like opening and your rebuttal i used to be in debate club don't worry about it lily that's every episode you (laughs) um let's move on to the next one because shit we're already half an hour in Mm -hmm. uh let's talk about reactions this was one that i thought was a little bit weird to me this really feels like something that should happen to every adventurer that walks into every town always Anytime you do something beyond what a regular peasant can do, people should have a reaction to you. So it feels weird that it's here, but I get they're trying to help people build a sorcerer and think about their origins and where they come from. A couple of the options they give you in the D6 table um, are people believe that your powers are a curse against your family. I thought that one was kind of interesting. There's, there's the basic ones like, oh, it's a blessing or, oh, it's, mm-hmm. it's destructive or whatever. But I like the idea that they think you're cursed and then other people believe that you may have the blood of a mad king whose bloodline should have ended a century ago that's specific and weird and hilarious and i like that as well (laughs) do you guys have any thoughts about reactions is this necessary in xanathar's does it seem a little on the nose what i find interesting about it is i don't know how much you two or the listeners have played other ttrpg but there's one that i've been playing called masks which is a teen superhero game and there's a lot of focus on origin stories because it's a superhero game so there's a lot of like when you first manifested your powers what did it look like that kind of stuff so I appreciate this having a nod to that I do see what you mean by I feel like a lot of these are kind of tropes and I feel like they could have dug a little deeper like maybe everyone around you doesn't see you but as soon as you leave your town you become visible again or maybe you know when you were born uh all of the grass that was in your town turned into flowers like those are two very specific examples but i feel like it could be more than just like everybody loves you or hates you or it's like scary or amazing like what are the in-between spaces that we can explore here yeah i kind of wanted to see not so much reactions because i mean you guys travel it's part of D. you're gonna move away from that real quick anyway right Mm -hmm. So I would have liked to have known what traumatic event happened 
when you manifested your powers for the first time. Mm-hmm. Or, but again, like how did it have... affect the world? How what? Because it feels like there should be some kind of mark in the world because you have this innate magical power and it's like coming out now. So there should be like a lightning storm or like a crater that appears. That's yeah. how I see it anyway. Yeah, I, I agree with you. But again, I feel like that could happen for clerics. The first time a cleric casts a cantrip and gets blessed by their god, doesn't the entire freaking temple go up in celebration like i just feel when the bard casts his first cantrip right or the arcane trickster turns a mage hand invisible aren't there reactions to this for everybody why is it here well i sit there and i'm like we look at the other things they have i mean there are four options here in xanathar's it's the only class that gets four we've had some real big great ones in like the rogue and the wizard and the cleric have all and barbarian have all had awesome options here the Rangers had less than stellar <laughs> oh, performance. It was like it does e- for the we don't talk about that. Episode. Not until the Ranger episode. <laughs> I'm with you guys. Like this feels unnecessary here. Like everyone should have a reaction, regardless of class. So mm-hmm. why? And and it should change from city to city as well, right? Mm-hmm. And it should change from sect to sect that you go into. I like this idea. Um, I I in, in regards to like putting it on all of my players and. I will draw from this for sure, but it, 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 it's not necessary here. Mm-hmm. Do you guys have any unique one that you would add to it, though? While we're talking about it, before we move on, is there anything that really stood out to you? Like, hey, that this could be a cool kind of reaction for a backstory that they didn't cover? I think that there's a level of something that you could do with the reaction built on, like, fame or celebrities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe when your powers manifest, suddenly for the next three towns, everybody's whispering about you and everybody notices you. Oh, I like that. There's a mechanic that's in, I believe it's Eberron. Now that I say that, I got to do the mental I math on that. Think but it's it, Waterdeep, if it's what you're... What, what, were you, what are you talking about? Where you have different ranks and you can move up within a house. And when, yeah. that, when that happens, you get renown. Yeah, I that's feel in like, Waterdeep, I think. Is that Maybe a Water... also Eberron. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I, do, I don't know. I haven't looked too closely at Waterdeep, but I know that that's in... Eberron or Ravnica. I want to say Eberron. Honestly, I think there's some semblance of that system in all three because all three focus heavily on guild mm-hmm. and, and factions and everything else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dan, any any unique? I'm kind of sad that there is no... Um, I mentioned it earlier with the Divine Soul thing, but there's there's nothing here that really is like fate and destiny. Like, there should be that old, you know, grandma sitting on a porch somewhere, you know, has had the story told her from generations to generations of, you know, the coming of the hero with the blue eyes or whatever it is or something like that. That's not here and it could be. So, like, your character carries a unique trait or aura or something but, like, is noticed by the populace and people who know of this prophecy then give it to your character, right? Like A lightning bolt scar is what you want, essentially. Yeah, like a lightning bolt scar. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But with all of the power and prophecy that comes with it exactly yeah. yeah i want to make harry potter mm-hmm. i uh the thing that stood out to me for this is you've got all these really cool origins first time that you cast something from your storm sorcery shouldn't elementals treat you differently should undead attack you last if they've got multiple options if you're a shadow sorcerer maybe they come at you last i'm thinking draconic bloodline kobolds just follow you you go to fight kobolds you cast firebolt <laughs> and they all just stop and bow down <laughs> right like i like the idea of there being the monsters that react differently mm. based on your innate magic as well that's more of the kind of reaction i'm looking for they do have for the draconic bloodlines you do get advantage on charisma checks with dragons so you know a little yeah 
Um, you don't usually end up being that helpful, though. I speak from experience. I, I was going to say, at what point are you trying to cast deception, or uh, are you rolling for deception on a freaking dragon? Oh, I could tell you a story afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, leave, I leave that up to the bard normally, but... Mm. Um, okay, let's move on to supernatural marks then, if, if we're all done on this one. Sure. This one, like you said before, it's a lightning bolt scar, right? Mm-hmm. It says that some players have subtle physical traits that belie their inner powers, and it could be hidden or proudly displayed depending on what your background is, or your backstory, rather. The ones they give you are, you know, your eyes are different, your hair is different, sure. That one's straightforward, makes sense, I think that's the first thing people will think of. The ones that stood out to me that made me kind of giggle were one ear is bigger than the other, or there's a, <laughs> a, a red splotch that appears on your neck once a day for an hour, and then disappears again. That one's cool. And then the one that stood out to me was you wrinkle your nose repeatedly when chewing which makes me think that maybe your supernatural mark is not something physical as far as it's tangible or you can see an object it's a tell yeah it's a tell it's some sort of tick or impulse Hmm. how do you guys feel about that i like it i mean i forget what it is but i'm remembering something at the edges of my memory of someone who scrunches up their face really hard when they cast magic i think i saw it in an anime or something and i thought that was cute oh yeah you're ringing bells for sure yeah i'll think of it later but and my sorcerer that's on the fable 242 channel that i play on i have a draconic soul sorcerer uh she actually has dragon scales on her cheeks and her uh, neck i like that do you want it to tie then to the actual um origin whatever the supernatural mark is yeah i think that could be interesting for sure i don't think it necessarily has to that was just kind of her thing but i think it definitely has an opportunity for that like how cool would it be if you were a shadow sorcerer and you don't have a shadow and that's your tell oh that's cool or you have a different colored shadow it's like prismatic or like galaxy or something is peter pan a sorcerer yes innate magic well no he gets it from the fairy dust doesn't he i think that's just what he uses to help non-magical people fly but i think the magic is inside of him and that's like the whole plot of peter pan huh it's been a while sorry for the random question i'm just sitting here because like i thought he was like so used to such a prolonged exposure to the fairy dust that just became part of him i think it depends on how you interpret the story all right yeah. Huh. What do you think of Supernatural Mark? Like, it, you, you got me going with, like, his shadow is different. I'm like, this guy's shadow is just trying to constantly, like, free itself. And then as a story beat later on in the campaign, it does. And now your character doesn't have a shadow or something. <laughs> you got to find it. Mm. Right? Uh, I don't know. I really like this. I also really like the idea of drawing on the subtlety of it. And whenever your character enters the room, the temperature drops by a degree. Or whenever you uh, pass through a like grassy field or something within a week, the grass where you walked has withered, died, and the ground is salted. Or something, depending on what bloodline you are Mm. here. I would go more in that direction with these. See, you're always always a topic ahead, Dan, because that's a sign of sorcery, right? And we're talking... Well, no, 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 no. I'm I'm saying like... (laughs) as as an effect that your character has like yeah as a sign of source the problem is a lot of these are very close to each other right Mm -hmm. you can match them and they they're all kind of intertwined i would have some other effect like wood cracks under their feet or something weird like that not necessarily a mark on their body like a physical mark on them but you're you're talking about a magical manifestation as opposed to there being just some sort of mundane thing the supernatural mark is just a weird mundane thing about you i don't know a red splotchy thing appearing going away after an hour yeah that's, but that's that, not exactly mundane that that's really the one thing though everything else like your eyes are a different color your hair grows quickly 
one ear is bigger than another. You wrinkle your nose when you chew. Yeah, like, that's fair enough. That's fair right. Enough. Whereas a sign of sorcery is all about. I mean, uh, you know what? I'll get to that in a second. I don't know. You I also think of it in like My Little Pony terms. It's their cutie mark because all of the ponies uh... they have that thing on their butt. So all sorcerers have a thing on them somewhere. But my question about this is like, if you were to go off this table or whatever, is it just that you as a sorcerer have red eyes or whatever it is? Or is the implication that all sorcerers in the world have the same supernatural mark? I think the implication is that all sorcerers have a varied supernatural mark. I don't Mm. think they all have the same one. Right. All all sorcerers are born with two left hands. Mm -hmm. Right? I don't think that's that's necessarily Mm -hmm. it. I mean, that'd be cool. Uh, If if you're running like a low magic campaign and had that be a thing where like there was a, not a disfigurement, but some other kind of thing like that where you could tell. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I'd be down for that. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I I still like it being the actions, being ticks and impulses. I like the idea that a divine soul sorcerer can't stop smiling when the sun is out. Right or a shadow, yeah. shadow magic sorcerers always just naturally in the shadows wherever they go. Right, if everybody's walking down the street, they're you know up against the building on the shady side, and they just do it without really thinking about it. Yeah. Right, or a draconic bloodline hisses whenever they use verbal components, mm-hmm. just part of how they cast their spells. See, I love that because I feel like it really lends to role playing. Like even someone who isn't a role player, you know, if they write into their thing that like I'm a sorcerer that hisses every time I do a thing, they might be inclined to do that. You know, it's easier than having an extra toe or having one. One ear be larger than the other and it works with the story and helps build the story. yeah and how often is that extra toe going to come up mm-hmm. yeah right hopefully not your dm's got to work pretty hard to go toe hunting mm-hmm. which yeah i mean at, at that point what are we, we're playing quentin tarantino's <laughs> campaign so uh all right so the last one then is sign of sorcery and we kind of touched on it already uh it says sometimes magic goes awry and sometimes it goes as planned which yes that is how mm-hmm. magic works uh when your sorcerer the of the weave yeah <laughs> When your sorcerer casts a spell, is there a tell? Is it tied to your origin or is it random? And then the examples that it gives that I thought were were kind of fun because a lot of it is straightforward. There's, oh, you levitate two inches off the ground or you have a deep booming voice or your clothes and hair move of this as if it's in a strong breeze. And I'm like, yeah, I've, I've seen this. Mm-hmm. I've heard this. This doesn't, this doesn't impress me. Mm-hmm. However, you sweat profusely during and shortly after when you cast a spell. Mm-hmm. I think that that's hilarious and kind of gross. Also, <laughs> the illusory blue fire circling your head whenever you cast a spell is another kind of neat and cool one. We saw this with Gandalf, right? Who had the deep booming voice or Galadriel when she went all dark in mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings. Right, we we see this when people cast magic all the time in pop culture. What are we going to do differently for our D and D? That's not a direct ripoff. So what I think are really cool for signs of sorcery is again, it's that difference between the sorceress marks and the signs of sorcery. Signs of sorcery, changing the environment around you is, I think, a real cool one because you have so much more you can play with around yeah. you. Uh, a couple examples that came to mind. One of them is you leech color from a radius around you but depending on the level of spell you're casting that's more like bigger or smaller radius or something that i'm just going to rip off of patrick rothfuss in the king killer chronicles maybe when you cast magic all of the fire around you turns blue but if there's no fire people won't know see that is perfect that is exactly what i'm looking for that is the kind of detail that I want the character, the player to be aware of, to look around and say, okay, I'm going to cast a spell. Even if I've got my metamagic and it's going to be subtle and whatnot, 
I can't stop the fire from turning blue. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to cast it inside. Mm -hmm. Something that makes it hard to hide the magic is real fun. Yeah. And I think that challenges like that make it way more interesting to role play over time. Dan, do you have anything? Well, I, I mentioned like the temperature work and, and stuff around you. I, I'm a big Dragon Ball Z fan and, mm. and uh, even World of Warcraft does this to a certain extent where it has like when you're casting spells, there are very real effects that happen around you as you do it. Either your aura, it flares if it's Dragon Ball Z or World of Warcraft, there's like this spinning essence of eldritch might around you or something like that. Like there's so many cool things that uh, can happen when you cast. My personal favorite having your veins bulge like showing this very physical force of of magic behind you actually casting your spells like this exertion i like we we mentioned that the guy sweating is kind of gross i really like the guy who is like actually having to put in a lot of effort to cast their spells hmm. rather than it just being something that you know tumbles out of them they've got to pull it forth and throw oh so this is this is your dragon ball z where they all have to scream for six episodes yeah they have to flex so hard their hair turns yellow and they (laughs) it stands straight up exactly yeah yeah I like where you're going with this, Dan. The thing that stands out to me, if you don't want to go over the top with it, think about the other senses that we never discuss in mm-hmm. D&D. The idea that everybody just, like, you said temperature, everybody gets cold, but maybe whenever I cast a spell, everybody feels a finger trace down their spine. Ew, I hate it. Or, <laughs> yeah, right? Or, um... Cast spells and everyone smells freshly baked cookies. Oh, yeah, I love it. <laughs> yes, it would be things like that. If it's if you're a storm sorcery, then you smell the ozone of lightning mm. or that you everyone can smell the ocean or whatever it is there should be some sort of i like the idea of every time i cast fireball everyone tastes chili peppers mm. right like just something weird to happen to everyone and it's gonna be a tell that you can't really control or maybe i would even say you can roll a concentration check to try to control it if you really focus i'm it's very like thankful a... that you said chili peppers and not the back guano which is the actual spell component because <laughs> that would be gross <laughs> yeah but i like it it's kind of like a wild magic surge but it's like a wild flavor surge we're giving doritos ideas now i i like this because it's something that is going to add to the flavor of the game and it's something that's going to make your character super unique that's one of the things that sorcerers particularly lean towards is the really unique character but do all shadow magic sorcerers feel the same because they're so unique is that what we're dealing with here are all draconic bloodline sorcerers relatively the same i feel like we're getting very philosophical here It's almost like an existential question at that point, right? Yeah, it's just, I've seen enough dragon bloodline sorcerers, and they all have the same basic backstory and the same basic tells and the same overall, like the little bits and pieces of their dragon ancestries, different colors, so that's different, but it's the same from one character to the next. Oh, can I tell you about my dragon bloodline sorcerer and you tell me if you've heard her story before? Yes, please. Yes. Okay, so... I have a draconic bloodline sorcerer who's a tiefling. She was, it's kind of still, I haven't really fully revealed the story yet on the stream, but she was essentially raised to be a spy. So she was sent into all kinds of really dangerous situations as a child and had to just ferret out information to the point where she became kind of like addicted to knowledge. And she literally has like such an intense curiosity now that she can't stop herself from opening doors. She will open weird packages. She will touch literally anything 
thing if given the opportunity. And she just has like insatiable curiosity. And the, one of the things she's most curious about is her draconic bloodlines because she knows absolutely nothing about it, but also is able to sometimes manifest the powers of a dragon. So huh. that's Chang. What color dragon? Bronze. That fits for bronze. Oh, I like that. She yeah. talks a lot. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> bronze dragons are one of my favorites. So yeah. Me too. Yeah, it fits. Mm-hmm. See, I like that. That is unique to me because it's based upon the personality of the dragon. Everything that I see that people do is based on the power of the dragon. Like the and element. the mechanical stats. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not I'm not into it. I want to see the personality. I want to see the role playing. I want a little bit more. And that's, that's my concern with sorcerers is because it's like that for every assassin rogue is relatively the same. Mm-hmm. Every arch fey warlock is kind of similar. And... By having subclasses, it makes us unique to a point, but one of the criticisms of 5th Ed is that once you've seen a light cleric, you've seen them all, hmm. right? Once you've seen an ancestral guardian barbarian, you've seen them all. I don't know. I'd push back against that and be like, that's when the role play happens, right? Like, that's where that becomes important. That's why these options at the beginning of Xanathar's are so important, is, is to add the difference between the classes. Perfect. Dan, thank you for leading into my thing. Mm-hmm. Did Xanathar's do a good job for Sorcerer then? I give it a solid B. Like, it's got a 75%, mostly because I think Reactions is hot garbage. <laughs> so, like, they knock the three out of the park. They're a little close to each other. They bleed into it. And, like, when I get into my subclass that we're going to be talking later on they do it again they kind of muddy the waters a little bit more there but if you just take this intro section i give them a b there's 75 percent on this one they did they did an okay job mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd have to agree with that grading i mean i'm a very you know hipster new age D kind of player so i don't super read the books but i love skimming them to get that you know inspiration for the stuff that I do and coming from a point of just like is this creative and inspirational does this make me want to write something yeah it has some good ideas in it but it's still pretty cut and dry I'd say for innate magic people but yeah definitely some gems in there b solid b for sure okay I fail this outright Hmm. I think that that everybody should think about where their origins come from. Everyone should think about where the reactions come from. And anybody that casts, you, you think that a cleric shouldn't have some sort of supernatural mark that's a blessing. Or the druid doesn't have some sort of innate idea of like vines that grow through their hair. Or like, you can do this with, with anybody. Warlocks especially. Holy shit. Warlocks, when you get blessed by a fiend, you should have 666 in like zits on your back or something right gross like this gross yeah gross this shit <laughs> this shit should be there for all casters i mean that's the nature of magic it should be a little bit unpredictable and it should manifest in cool weird different ways so the only one that i really like for this is the sign of sorcery mm-hmm. and again couldn't you do that for wizards and warlocks and druids and paladins right like absolutely this feels great for spell casters it just it leaves me flat for sorcerers i wanted something different That's maybe something that that pointed towards the the font of magic and why they get a font hmm. or why they can get meta magic and nobody else can hmm. right there are a couple of really cool mechanics around sorcerers that everyone complains is got taken away from previous editions and put onto sorcerers only in fifth edition and yet we're not we're not playing with that from a flavor standpoint so fair enough anyway that's my rant okay that's the thing that i nerded out about (laughs) um so let's talk really quickly about multi-classing you guys are are the experts apparently so i'll go through really quickly what multi-classing looks like you need a prerequisite of uh 13 charisma 
you get a d6 hit die, and uh, you do not get proficiencies when you multi-class into nope. Sorcerer. You do get your subclass at level 1, which is super important. Mm-hmm. A lot of them have to wait until level 3. Uh, you do get two sorcery points at level 2. Mm-hmm. And you do get your first metamagic at level 3. So assuming that you dip three levels in, because that's what most people do, they go for the three level, mm-hmm. you get four cantrips. You get it at the first level, and it carries you all the way through the two third level as well. So you only ever get four if you're only dipping three levels in. At first level, no two spells. At second level, no three. And at third level, no four. But you only get two level one spell slots and three level one spell slots at the first two levels. It doesn't really open up until level three, Mm -hmm. where you get four level one and two level two spell slots. So you become far more versatile. Is this worth multi-classing and getting rid of your capstone ability? Do you guys think that this is worth it or does it not stack up to other options? What do you think? So I have two multi-class sorcerers right now. I actually also have a Yuanti sorcerer. I think uh, Adam, you said you had one as well. Yeah, I've, I've, I've got one in my campaign on Tuesday that I DM for. Nice. So I play a Yuanti bard sorcerer on the Lady Tiefling channel in Avernus. And I also have another multi-class sorcerer that I think I also multi-class with a bard. I love me some bards and I love me some sorcerers. So, <laughs> you know, putting them together, it just hits the mark. Now, do I build characters for mechanical purposes? Rarely ever. I played a druid last week that had a minus three to wisdom and it was my favorite game ever. So in terms of like the mechanical point of view, I won't speak to that, but I will say that it is really fun to have like take that dip three into sorcerer and just have those meta magics, especially if you're multi-classing with another spellcaster. Because yep. they're just they can just be so useful. Uh, even if you only have like two sorcery points, you know, that one time you just really need to, you know, quicken that spell and get that extra spell in and it could just like zap the big bad evil guy in the face. I find that really worth it. I love multi-classing with bard and sorcerer because I love me some bard support spells, but also getting that extra boost of my sorcery stuff. Since you didn't touch on the mechanical side, I'll, I'll, I'll throw my hat in the ring there. Yeah. Um, let my 3.5 show out a little bit. Um, <laughs> I would not go three levels into Sorcerer. I know the metamagics are fun, but I wouldn't. I would only go the two, if anything, just because I don't think metamagics are worth losing your capstone ability for. I, I, I just, I don't. Having the ability to, oh shit, cast another spell with your sorcery points, should you need to, is great. I would pair them with, I don't know, man, a paladin. Like... Um, I, there's no reason why a divine soul paladin or hell, even a shadow magic paladin can't work great. The ability to cast darkness and be able to see through it while smiting the hell out of things is just awesome and badass. And the ability to add spells on top of your smites as well. And you get this wealth of cantrips, which helps as a paladin as well. I mean, pretty much the charisma caster section of the player's handbook is chock-a-block full of choices and options when it comes to multi-classing. So really choose one of the four. You're golden either way you, you want to multi-class this. But chances are I ain't going three. I'm only going two if I'm dipping into it for that reason. That makes sense. I uh, Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. My big takeaway from all of that, Dan, is that you said the words chock-a-block, which <laughs> yes. is now going to be in my lexicon. That That's part of my vocabulary. I also said braggadocious uh, earlier, and uh, every single time I've said that word previously, you've called me out on it, but you didn't this time, so thank you. <laughs> oh, it was coming. <laughs> uh, but I got to say that from my standpoint, I like multi-classing into Sorcerer 
because it's the only one that I think makes story sense no matter what. Hmm. Doesn't matter what level. Yes, it does because it's it's in your blood. Bang, there it is. It just comes out. Something stressful happens, boom. You just leveled probably because you just just fought something. Yep, bang, there you go. Mm -hmm. Everything else requires some sort of story prep to get there. I feel like Sorcerer is the one that I can just sit back and go, no, you know what? You know what? I'm going to take a level in Sorcerer. The magic was in <laughs> me all go. along. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Like, when I when I look at Sorcerers, I go, you're born with this. Like, it, it's not Maybelline. You're born with it. So it's, um, I feel awkward multi-classing halfway through a campaign, especially if you're playing, like, a high-tension, high-action campaign. It's like you're encountering stressful crap all the time. Why is it now that it suddenly appears it feels weird and like to me the ultimate like mid-level uh multi-class will always be warlock because it fits and requires a story beat. right what i'm saying is that this one does not require a story beat and can work for any character at any time and when you say why does it happen now remember the dm might reveal to them why it happened now yeah that's fair enough right this is a plot hook and not necessarily a story beat and that's what i like about sorcerer and multi-classing into them that's what I think makes them unique. Legit. So, that being said, let's uh, let's cut to a quick commercial. Hello, everyone. This is Megan. You'll recognize me from such things as Call of Cthulhu playthrough and various episodes where I'm mean to Terry, kind of terrified of Adam, and always wowed by Dan's lore knowledge. Uh, we're solidly into year two of the podcast now, and there's been a lot covered. So if you're new to It's a Mimic or just have the attention span of a guppy, let me remind you quickly about what is out there. So far, we have covered the horde mentality monsters, including orcs, goblinoids, kobolds, gnolls, undead, and even bullywugs. For talking about base classes, we've also covered a minimum of at least three subclasses also including the Artificer. Imagine digesting all that info in one go. There have been a lot of episodes on the Lower Plains and Fiends, and quite a bit on general D&D lore. And of course, what's D&D without our dragons? We've covered all chromatics and are working through the metallics right now. I know these are Terry's favorites and have also started becoming one of mine. In fact, you will hear my lovely voice so far on Copper and Brass, Brass being my new love. So, uh, it's been a while, and if you're looking for new inspiration, or if you've jumped in halfway through, go ahead and dig through our backlog and find some of those hidden gems. Those original Meet the DMs episodes are absolutely hilarious right now if you re-listen to them, because now we kind of know a little bit more about Dan, Adam, and Terry. Uh, But for now, let's get back to the show. Now that we have spent, oh god, an hour talking (laughs) about what's at the beginning of of this section in Xanathar's, let's get to the meat and potatoes of it. Let's dig into the subclasses. Now, we only have two that we haven't covered before, which is Shadow Magic and Storm Sorcery. I've talked a lot in this episode, and I'm going to let you guys battle it out. Do you guys want to roll initiative and see who's going to go first and give us a breakdown of what exactly we can get from this uh, from this subclass? For sure. You got it. A two! I got nine. <laughs> oh, after well, you. Going first with single digits, Lily. All right, so the subclass that I'm going to be covering today is the Storm Sorcerers. Very easy example, because we were talking about X-Men earlier. Uh, You're basically Storm. You were born with the magic to control, you guessed it, storms. So a lot of elemental things tied in here. If you listened earlier in the episode, I had that cool story of the Storm of All Worlds and that backstory. But you can do a lot of backstory stuff with storm sorcerers. Maybe you were born in a storm. Maybe your, you know, dad was a storm. A lot of options you could go with here. 
So there are a number of features that come with this. A lot of them have to do with elemental damage, but there's a lot of things that are just kind of flavorful and interesting. Like at first, starting at first level, you can use a bonus action and you can create whirling gusts of elemental air. And this allows you to fly up to 10 feet without opportunity attacks. So that's pretty cool. That one's the at tempestuous first magic. first level. It's yep. insane. Yep. And that's really helpful if you are, for whatever reason, like my dragon sorcerer is, a really dexterous fighter. <laughs> so she gets up into a lot of fights. But, you know, if you can get away without that opportunity attack, it's a nice, yeah. nice little treat there. Plus, it's always just epic where, you know, if you're a ridiculous player like me, you can use a bonus action on your turn to just use the wind to fluff up your cape and make it look really cool during your attack. <laughs> Uh, but that's only if you play like me. They have that item in uh, in Xanathar. Oh, yeah. That, that, like, common magic item that all it does is billows your cloak. Yes, but imagine how much more it could billow if you were a storm sorcerer. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. Like, like, there's lightning and, like, a, a gentle peal of thunder on the horizon mm -hmm. somewhere when you do it. Like, it is epic. Yes. Exactly. But, you know, or you could use it to fly away and not provoke opportunity attacks, but whatever. Who cares about <laughs> the mechanics? You can make your cloak billow. Yes. Yes. And at sixth level, you get Heart of the Storm. So this is where we really start to get into some of that juicy, juicy elemental damage. This one gives you resistance to lightning and thunder damage. And you also get extra juicy stormy magic whenever you cast a spell of first level or higher that deals lightning or thunder damage. You basically get to erupt and the creatures around you are going to take extra lightning or thunder damage. So it basically can turn a target spell into an area of effect, which is pretty sweet because, you know, when you're a storm... You don't want to target just one thing. You want a lightning yeah. bolt to the whole field. This, to me, I is where I see Adam's argument for it being Thor, right? Mm -hmm. Like him walking in, calling that bolt of lightning and that aura of lightning shooting out around him, damaging all the things around him. Mm -hmm. Like this is the one ability that, that cries that out. I also really like how it's thunder or lightning. Mm -hmm. And it, you don't have to make that decision. You don't have to like set it in stone at any point in time. It's thunder or lightning, whatever you want. Because there are some things that are resistant to lightning, but not resistant to thunder, mm -hmm. and vice versa. Yep. The storm is within you. This is going to screw up constructs. Yeah. And I absolutely love that. <laughs> this is just going to go out of your way to destroy constructs. The other thing that I do personally in my homebrew is if you're standing in water or you're wet, yeah. then and you cast some sort of lightning spell, you will take additional damage. Mm -hmm. So this becomes very potent for me. And I, I really like that. Yeah. I played with a player once who was doing a storm sorcerer. And basically, we turned it into a wild magic thing. So I just had it whenever she dealt any kind of spell. I had her roll. And then sometimes the storm just slipped out of her. So even when she wasn't intending to do that like area of effect damage, sometimes she would zap her friends because she just couldn't control the storm inside her. Yeah, That's cool. That's awesome. Isn't that fun? Also at 6th level, we now get Storm Guide. So <laughs> I love that they call it Storm Guide. Not like Storm Summoner or anything epic. Uh, you are just the guide. Basically, you get to control the weather around you. You can, if it's raining, you can stop the rain. If it's windy, you can redirect the wind. So I guess Storm Summoner would be kind of too epic of a title for this. Yeah. <laughs> You're basically a rain and wind navigator. Yep. You know what? I like this. It, it, 
it's purely story reasons. I mean, you could have some effect if there's like a stinking cloud or a, something like that out. Mm-hmm. The ability to blow it away with the wind would be nice. And getting it at sixth level makes this super powerful. But this is, again, this is just the fun little ability to be able to assist with role playing. Like now your character is more this herald of power and like the common folk that you encounter are going to be amazed that like it's pouring rain everywhere except for that one little square where that one dude's walking. <laughs> like it's it's great. Yeah, absolutely. It's also like it's not the only thing you get at sixth level. You also then get your resistance to lightning. If this was the only thing you got at sixth level, that would probably be pretty bunk, but you know. Yeah, fair enough. You get something that's pretty powerful and useful and also something that's just silly and maybe might be useful someday. I like this at this level. I don't want it any any higher and it's underpowered for when it shows up. Mm-hmm. Any lower and it's too powerful. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many bonus actions are you using as a sorcerer? Uh, I mean, depending on the meta magics you take, if you take Quicken, then you're probably burning up more than all usual. of them that's true yeah yeah, yeah that that's true yeah yeah no this this really sits nicely i like this is one of the first um subclasses that i really like how it's broken down and where this stuff is coming in yeah it, it's well built absolutely uh this is the one that i get excited about storm's fury so at 14th level it's basically like a hellish rebuke but of the yeah. storm so you can use your reaction to deal lightning damage to the person who attacked you. Extra bonus, they have to make a strength saving throw against your spell save DC. And if they fail, then they are just yeeted away from you and just like, <laughs> get away from me. And that's just a real nice thing to have because as a reaction, not only are you dealing damage, but you also can give yourself some space and get that attacker out of your melee range. My only uh, criticism on this one is when you're hit with a melee attack, that person must make a strength save. If you're getting hit with a melee attack, chances are highly probable that that person's got good strength. Um, I don't know, man. You're a sorcerer. You don't have a high AC. Oh, that and at 14th level, everything's got a plus nine. <laughs> that, I know. So I, I, I would have liked to see this be constitution, not strength. But otherwise, I love it. I absolutely mm-hmm. love it. Mm-hmm. I think it's just a strength thing because it's like being pushed away. So. Oh, yeah. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe if they were being stunned, then I would see that as a constitution save. But yeah, I think it's just like the force is here. So I must brace myself against it with my strength. And at 14th level, your save DC is going to be significant yeah pretty pretty yeah. good yeah 14th level it's probably a plus 10 mm-hmm. yeah that tracks mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well oh no hold on i did that math entirely wrong i just said because mm-hmm, i don't know how to do math <laughs> <laughs> the spell well, save you see is is eight plus 10 so it's probably 18 there we go yeah so it's pretty so, sweet yeah. it's pretty sweet and then at 18th level, you are the storm. You get complete immunity to lightning and thunder damage. And who doesn't love immunity? Damage immunity is the best. You also get to become the storm and fly with a fly speed of 60 feet. And you can also help other people fly because you are the storm. <laughs> That's pretty pretty epic. I mean, if you could just round up all your friends and be like, we are now a lightning cloud. Let's go. Yeah, it says the number of them are equal to three plus your charisma modifier. At 18th level, you've got a plus five in that. Yeah, right? so, so that's so many creatures that you can just make fly with you. That's that's so much fun. I really like that. This, however, as a dungeon master, makes me go, okay, now now what can I possibly throw at you guys? And we are gonna, we, yeah, We're doing tight tunnels underground. <laughs> yeah. Well, the interesting thing about it is that 
It doesn't say willing creatures. Huh. You are correct. Mm-hmm. Well, I did not notice I, that. So that's it. I'm bringing my mount and your mount, and we're all <laughs> getting our horses, and we're, we're flying. Yep. It just says chosen, so you just pick things, and it's like, oh, hey, I'm a storm cloud. You're coming with me now. They don't have to make a strength save. They just go. Can you cancel this whenever you want? Yes. Uh, oh, wait, hang on. <laughs> you can cancel it for yourself. Well, no, you get the you flying can't speed regardless, people. right? Yeah. You always get it. Yeah. Uh, the chosen creatures, they get it for an hour. You can't just cancel oh, okay. it at will. Because that would be hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I've given you the ability to fly. Follow me. Fly up. Have a Dragon Ball Z fight up in the sky. And then <laughs> snap your fingers and they plummet 200 feet to the ground. It's such a good strategy. Why didn't we think of that? <laughs> so, yeah, pretty cool, pretty cool. You basically uh, start off with a storm inside you, and as you grow up, you become the storm. I also like that you get the ability to speak primordial right off the bat as well. Like, this is one of the few subclasses that just gives you the ability to speak a language, and primordial is just spoken by the elements. Mm. So you are now... Like, the main way your party's going to communicate if you're playing a highly elemental campaign. Like, this guy this guy fits in well there. And you get primordial. Like, it's just fantastic. You can learn to paint with all the colors of the wind. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, I, I don't know. I really like this. I think this is strong and powerful. And it's... There's really... I don't have a complaint about this. That's That fits at 18th level. It all just sits nicely here. Plus, lightning is so metal, you know? <laughs> You basically make your entire party a walking Iron Maiden cover. Yes, yes, it's badass. Oh my god, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna dip for two levels into Bard then, (laughs) just to round that out. So, uh, if if we're done with the Storm Sorcery, we will go on from the Iron Maiden cover to the I don't know Cannibal Corpse cover, Uh, like the the Shadow the the Shadow Magic Sorcerer uh, Death Cab for Cutie. Oh yeah, Death Cab for Cutie. Yep, yeah, that would work too. This is your uh, creature of shadow, um, born or at least influenced from the Shadowfell itself. You have power over life, death, darkness, and light. So right off the bat with this, it gives you another D6 table to roll on, which is your quirks. I don't know why this is here, but some of the options are awesome, but they would feel more at place with the, you know, supernatural effects and supernatural marks and signs of sorcery mm-hmm. that you get things here like yeah, this is what i said this is what i wanted for sorcerers up at the beginning yeah so i i love this shit um highlights in this is you blinked once last week <laughs> and you barely bleed even when badly injured like mm-hmm. there's just something holding your weird otherworldliness together and and it's super flavorful if either all bloodlines should get this or it should just be an option for all classes i don't know why it's specifically anyways moving on hold on you didn't choose my favorite one which is your heart beats yes. once per minute <laughs> this event sometimes surprises yes me. i was so i love the idea of I love the idea of everyone sitting around in the tavern and it's quiet. It's two in the morning and all of a sudden the sorcerer just like freaks out for no reason. The like stone faced death clock sorcerer is just like suddenly, oh my God. Oh, oh shit. My heart beat. Sorry, guys. 
Wait, also before we move on, can I just say a shout out to the Shadowfell, which is such a cool place and setting that I feel like not enough people play in. It's so creepy and amazing. It breaks my heart that the, the taste of the Shadowfell we have in Curse of Strahd is a demi-plane of the Shadowfell without yeah. actually being the Shadowfell. Yeah. Like... I, I want to experience the Shadowfell. I want to experience, like like Adam said, Deathclock. This seems like a metal guy to me. Oh, yeah. It's so rich and flavorful. And we'll get to our character ideas later. I, I play into that heavily with, mm. with the character I've got prepped for this. All right. But anyways, at, at first level, we have the Eyes of the Dark. You have, uh, at first level, you have dark vision with a range of 120 feet. Good, because now everyone gets it. <laughs> Yay. When you reach third level with the class, which this seems like the only bloodline that gives you an additional thing at third level. But this mm -hmm. is just a further growth of this Eyes of the Dark ability where you get the ability to cast the darkness spell, which doesn't count against your sorcerer spells known. And you could cast it by spending two sorcerer points or by spending a spell slot. Mm -hmm. It's really, really cool and adds that additional flavor that if you use the sorcery points to cast a spell you could see through it the darkness mm -hmm. does not affect you so again this is that two level dip paladin gets this ability spends the points drops that darkness and just walks through with impunity killing everything he gets the advantage, but no one gets the advantage against him. It's great. Mm -hmm. In fact, don't they all get disadvantage? They would all have disadvantage, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Plus, it like, seems really epic for just storytelling moments. Like, please explain why you can see through this darkness. Or what does the darkness look like to you as opposed to anyone else? And like, where does the darkness come from? Do they draw it from like you know their own shadow and they just pull it up and it turns into this dome that encompasses everyone? I would have it like... From the enemy's perspective, it's this, you know, deep, dark, like opaque almost, uh, like there's substance to this darkness. Mm. But for the paladin, he's seeing it like he's Frodo wearing the ring in Lord oh, of the yeah. Rings. Like everything's a negative and he could see fine, but he's seeing everything in a negative and everything's just a little delayed and slow. Like, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I love mm. it. So cool. I gotta say, this is the one level dip into Sorcerer that I am taking. Mm. Not for, for the darkness, um... But for the dark vision, the range up to 120 feet, if I'm a gloom stalker, mm -hmm. ranger, where you can add 30 feet if you already have dark vision, you get 150 feet of dark vision. I think that's the best dark vision sight in the entire game. If I had this guy in my party, give him a couple levels of Warlock as well, where he could just see through all magical darkness. But yeah, this if I have this guy in my party and I'm the DM, all my puzzles are color related. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And also, I'm sure you could see it 150 feet away, but you can't tell the difference between blue and green. So, <laughs> nice try. If I had this in my party, I would line up, I believe in a thing called love, and play it every time they cast darkness. <laughs> boy. And nice. The player would just get so annoyed. <laughs> so, moving on, at first level, you also get the strength of the grave, which is one of Adam's favorite type mm -hmm. of abilities that they have in 5th edition. When you fall down, you make a charisma save. When you fall down to less than 0 hit points, you make a charisma saving throw, which is DC 5 plus the damage taken. On a success, you instead drop to 1 uh, hit point. You can't use this feature again if you are reduced to 0 by radiant damage or critical hit. And after the saving throw succeeds, you can't use it again until you finish a long rest. Mm -hmm. So this is a this is a get out of jail free card. It's really unique how this one is built because a lot of them are you make a will save or you just get up. This one is you make that charisma saving throw versus the damage taken, which could be a good or very bad thing depending on what hits you to knock you down. Mm -hmm. I like this. This is not going to help you if you fall out of an airship. No. 
not not at all but it the thing that i love about this is this is again at first level you get this Mm -hmm. so if you pair this with your zealot barbarian or any druid your character is just never going to die well that and plus on top of that you're gonna have such low hit points early on because you got the d6 hit die right so for the first three or four levels this is gonna save your ass Mm -hmm. more than once literally has saved my butt before and yeah yeah, for my yuanti bard sorcerer she's a shadow sorcerer and what i love about it playing her the way she is she's yuanti she's definitely pretty evil she tries to be nice to her friends but she's definitely pretty evil this is the kind of thing where damage reduces you down to zero. You're down. Maybe your entire party is down too. What does your sorcerer do when they're the last one standing? This gives you a chance to sneak away if you are an evil shadow sorcerer. Or if you're a good shadow sorcerer, you're back up now. You know that this is your last chance. What do you do? And it kind of adds a bit of a tense moral situation in there sometimes also. I like the idea of you popping back up, nuking the bad guy, and then just murdering everyone else in the party. <laughs> <laughs> well there's the campaign guys hope everyone had fun <laughs> uh the best kind of player all right so moving on at sixth level uh you get a uh pet that you could summon <laughs> this is uh you calling upon a howling creature of darkness that is specifically designed to harass your foes you spend three sorcery points to magically summon a hound of ill omen and it is to target one specific creature that you could see within 120 feet of you keep in mind you have dark vision so this guy could be hiding in the shadows doesn't matter you see him the hound uses the dire wolf statistics which is again a you know speed 50 cr1 creature at level six this is not insignificant of an addition furthermore he's a dire wolf except he is medium not large counts as a monstrosity not a beast gets a bunch of temporary hit points can move through other creatures and objects as if they were difficult terrain which is awesome if it ends its turn it's taking five damage if it ends its turn within an object or another player and at the start of its turn the hound automatically knows its target's location even if that target was hidden hunting hound when you when you spend the three sorcery points to summon this guy he appears in an unoccupied space of yours choice within 30 feet then acts on his own initiative and on its turn it can only move toward its target by the most direct route it is like if anyone's watched supernatural it's the hellhounds from supernatural yeah i was gonna say that that's so badass i love this it can make opportunity attacks but only against their target it can attack but only against its target if it's within five feet of the target the target has disadvantage on saving throws against any spell the sorcerer casts i love that yeah so cool the only other caveat on this thing is it lasts for five minutes or if it's reduced to zero hit points or more or if its target is reduced to zero hit points or more you can cast this multiple times a day depending on if you have the sorcerer points or not Mm-hmm. At sixth level, if you spend only your sorcerer points on this, you get this twice a day. Mm-hmm. This is badass. This is one of my most favorite flavorful abilities any sorcerer gets. Like the ability to summon just a hellhound to do your bidding. And what's really cool about it is that you have so much space that you can summon it in. So what I see this being really useful for is against like the big bad evil guy at the end who's like still way at the back of the room. As long as you're within 120 feet, you can just zip this thing within 30 feet of that big bad evil guy. And this thing can just start whittling it down, can start, you know, giving enemy the disadvantage on saving throws and stuff. It's just a real good like back line whittling away. My only criticism of this is that it has a number of hit points equal to half your sorcerer level. Yeah, I was going to say that's not bonus that many. bonus hit points. 
it has bonus hit points. Yeah, so it would be 37 plus or... Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, it's a normal dire wolf with those points on. So at stock, if you use just the straight average, the given in the dire wolf stat blocks, I mean, you're completely right, Lily. It's 37 base. You'd get three bonus hit points just at the start as soon as you can summon this guy if like adam and i do use full hit points for any summons or anything mm. you're you're walking around with 63 mm-hmm. hit points right off the start mm-hmm. i really like this i want those hit points and the attacks and whatnot to scale with time this is another one that i wish had a scaling aspect to it yeah but i really love this at sixth level i'm probably not relying on it by 18th level mm-hmm. but it's going to be a major part of my tier two and tier three game and who doesn't like a cute dire wolf pet friend that's made out of shadows and monsters <laughs> i name him fluffy also just, <laughs> just this description call forth a howling creature of darkness to harass your foes not attack your foes not destroy your foes harass them yep just get something really annoying up in your enemy's face oh uh, now I, just, I would just have like a youtube clip of uh like wolves howling mm. and i would just play it every time i summon them yes and have it on repeat to drive everyone at the table mad along with i believe in a thing called love there you go yes. <laughs> well he howls in that song right yes he does yeah, it's yeah. perfect. So uh, moving on at 14th level, you get Shadow Walk. You get the ability to step from one shadow into another. If you are in dim or darkness as a bonus action, you can magically teleport to an area within 120 feet that's unoccupied that you can see that is also dim light or darkness. So there's no limit to this. It is just a bonus action, 120 foot dim light or darkness misty step Mm -hmm. with no cost this is amazing if you get a familiar and choose to see through their eyes and work into it this gets even better there's so many things you could do with this now i don't know like i think this is a super cool ability but as someone who's like a millennial more new gen D &D player i don't know a ton of dms that actually use like dim light and darkness a ton you know so I, i think in this covid era where everyone's using uh, mm. some equivalent to roll 20 that has dynamic lighting i think mm. it's getting used a little bit more mm-hmm. but if i've got a shadow sorcerer i'm asking hey where's the dim light where's the darkness is there a spot i could jump to mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah the last time that i was a player at a table i played a gloom stalker which all of their shit is about hiding in the shadows and so i was just driving dan who was the dm <laughs> up the wall with, <laughs> with it's nighttime right where's the nearest torch what's what's the radius on a torch where can i be on this okay if i'm in the shadow behind the tree but the trees within the torchlight am i lit and i just like it becomes an aspect of the game mm-hmm. as you start to rely yeah. on this stuff mm-hmm. so so it, it's kind of on the responsibility of the player to to make sure they're asking the questions necessary and i mean you're not wrong adam it was really challenging to have to think about okay if the fire is here and that tree is there then adam disappears into nothingness there yeah. <laughs> and just like constantly trying to figure that out it, it was a fun little challenge as a dm I, I, I gotta say the other thing that i would say about this is that it feels too powerful at 14th level yeah well right? my it's... question about it now is can you just then theoretically spend two sorcery points to cast darkness and then you have a teleport for two sorcery points yes yes Boom. Yep, absolutely mm-hmm and at 14th level, you have 14 sorcery points. Mm-hmm. My big thing about this, it's not the ability itself. It's that it's a feature and not a spell. Because nothing like dispel magic, counterspell, an anti-magic field, nothing is going to stop Shadow Walk. I cannot put a physical barrier between me and the character. I mean, you can. Unless you have light. Well, no, you can't because you have to 
that be able to see where you're teleporting from where you're teleporting. So if you go around a corner, I can't just pop up in front of you. Right, but I can't have my super evil arch lich monologuing behind an anti-magic field, right? But you could have it monologuing behind a really, really, really bright UV light. <laughs> yes, there's, there's that. You're starting to use light against the shadows. Exactly. Ooh. Oh, shit. I like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like that a lot. I cast light on this entire chamber. Poof. Mm-hmm. Shadow sorcerer becomes useless. Well, Until just they doesn't cast get to teleport dark. around. Yeah. Yeah. But then if mm. someone is casting light in this entire area or, you know, uh, ray of sickening light. What's that area? Anyways, off the top. Yeah. Of sickening radiance or yes. something like that? Yes. Yeah. Sickening radiance, which is a whole area of effect like bright light. If you cast darkness within that, what wins? There's a gradient scale and we definitely don't want to set off Adam on the <laughs> definition of daylight, sunlight, bright light, <laughs> dim light, darkness, uh, magical darkness. <laughs> like it's one of the problems with 5e. There's a little bit of ambiguity when it comes to light sources mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and their intensity and what they do. Mm. Does the spell daylight hurt vampires can it kill them it'll hurt them but can it kill them it's not technically sunlight oh it pisses me off oh (laughs) now i'm mad again yeah anyway so we're gonna move on to umbra form um hurry hurry your capstone ability here or your sorceress origin is your umbral form at 18th level you could spend a third six of them sorcery points as a bonus action to magically transform yourself into a shadow form if you have played world of warcraft this is your shadow priest this is awesome and metal i love it while in this form you have resistance to all damage except for force and radiant and you can do the same thing your Hound of Ill Omen can do. You can move through objects and creatures as if they are difficult terrain. You also take that five force damage if you end your turn inside of an object. You can remain in this form for up to a minute. It ends early if you are incapacitated, if you die, or if you dismiss it as a bonus action. Again, another sorcerer using their bonus action. But otherwise, this doesn't really have very many other mechanical boons. It doesn't boost your spells. You get the damage resistance and the ability to walk through walls. Yeah. So on the base level, looks really cool. I, I feel it's a little underpowered for an 18th level ability, especially since it costs so many sorcery mm-hmm, points. Mm-hmm. But again, there's no limit other than sorcery points for how many times a day you could do this. There's no like, you got to wait till the next long rest. If you wanted to, you could do this th- uh, three times in a day when you get it. Because it costs six points. Well, you probably won't, though. You're probably holding on to those. Sorts yeah, of you're probably doing it once. Okay, I have a question for you guys. Or, okay, I know how Dan does it. I have a question for Lily. When you reach zero hit points in your games, do you fall unconscious when you're, when you're doing death saves? Yeah, unconscious. Okay, so it's not just incapacitated then. Because incapacitated is included in the conditions paralyzed, petrified, stunned, and unconscious as well. Yeah, you KO, you knocked out. Yeah, so if you get dropped to zero hit points, it's not just if you die, it's if you get knocked out. I would even say that what's the wording on the sleep spell? Let's get really focused here. We can get we can get a little shitty with this if, if I desperately wanted to. Yeah. I'm probably, honestly, not casting sleep on a level 18 character. There is, If there is a character to hit it with, a shadow sorcerer is the one to target. Because if you spend like a 6th level sleep spell you're rolling those d what are they d10s off the top of my head like you're rolling more dice than that sorcerer has hit points 
More than likely. Sleep makes you unconscious, not incapacitated. But unconscious, in the description of unconscious, includes incapacitated. Ah, uh, yes, I see your point now. So, yeah. um, mm-hmm. that's why this gets... Like, there's more to it than just that. I agree, Dane, it feels a little weak. But, I also thought the 14th level thing was a little powerful. It balances. Yeah, I think that by the time you hit level 18, you're okay. I almost want to swap them. If I was designing it, I would change them. Maybe spend five sorcery points. You can still only do it three times, right? But I'd drop it at level 14. I would, from a design standpoint. I, I don't know. The ability to pop from shadow to shadow, that's going to be something you want to play with for a good long time. Yeah, but I mean, that's up to the DM to actually design some encounters that can be, you know, final tier four level things for you to play with it would be cool if your umbral form actually gained bonuses from because everything up until now has been creating darkness using the darkness shrouding yourself in darkness like it'd be cool if in your umbral form yes you have resistance to damage but like when you are in dim light or darkness you get a plus two to damage or something yeah like that, or you know? advantage to hit right yeah or your passive stealth becomes 30 or something right like you're up at this level. It should be something badass and cool. You're right. There needs to be a little bit more to this. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, it's like transforming yourself into a shadowy form is pretty cool. But I would want that shadowy form to be, like, super badass and not just be incorporeal so I don't take damage. Yeah. The other thing that I want to point out on this, which we probably overlooked a little bit, is that, again, this is not a spell. There's no concentration. Mm-hmm. You can cast your spells as the shadow form. Yep. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of badass and really flavorful, too. Mm-hmm. I definitely like the Shadow Sorcerer. It's definitely not the weakest subclass around, and but it's not the most powerful of the Sorcerer origins. But either. it's super flavorful. It's yeah. super and it's got flavorful. some really it. neat shit. It's, yeah. it's for all the edgelords. It's so all of us can live our <laughs> 2000 dreams, high school dreams of being goth yeah. and shadows. If you are playing a rogue and you don't dip one level into Shadow Sorcerer, what you doing? Like... <laughs> Come on. <laughs> well, I like being a shadow sorcerer up to level 14. I mean, level 18 is a little weak. So maybe I'm taking six levels of assassin mm. so that I can get 120 feet over there, pop up behind you and shank you. Mm. Wow. I'm terrified of this guy because I know you now have one built for our campaign when we start back up. But yeah, you're in trouble, Dan. Uh, joy. This is what the <laughs> new Assassin's Creed game should have been. Yeah, right? Yeah. Why is a pirate? Come on. <laughs> Let's be shadowy figures instead. All right, so uh, let's uh, take a second before we get to my favorite part, which is coming up with unique character builds um, using these guys. Let's uh, let's jump to a shout-out really quickly. It's giveaway announcement time. Congratulations to at Doodles on Instagram for winning the giveaway from Mailbag Episode 9. As a reward for winning the giveaway, at Doodles gets two Mimic Minis and a special episode where Adam, Terry, and I discuss whatever it is they want to talk about. Adam has kept that information secret from me and Terry, so I'm really hoping it's not about bondage furniture. Again, for the 17th time. Hey everyone, thanks for having me. My name is Lily Sparks. I'm the girl with many lives. You can find me streaming basically all the time on a number of different channels. I do a lot of weird characters and voices. Most notably, I do the most weird characters and voices on the Gilding Light channel on Sundays. If you want to check out any of the shit that I do, it will be on Twitter or Instagram at Lily Sparks, Sparks with an X, and I have all of the links to my Twitch streaming schedule in my Twitter bio. Okay, so we've been talking sources this whole time. Let's break down our unique and interesting ideas for these two subclasses, the Storm Sorcery and the Shadow Magic. 
sorcerers. Let's grab our dice, roll initiative, and see who goes first. Oh. Ooh, I got an 11. I got a 10. What'd you get? Oh, I got a three. (laughs) All right. I really want to build that demigod level uh, sorcerer, shadow sorcerer gifted to this realm because of some overarching fate. But I do want to, you know, break the mold a little bit. I'm not going to roll the gloomy half elf or the, you know, halfling or tiefling or I'm I'm, I'm not going to do any of those. I want to do something like a Goliath. I want this just big, gloomy, bald dude walking around that occasionally just blows shit up with shadow magic. I love the idea. And of course, this entire time, he knows he's from a tribe, but he doesn't know what tribe he's from. The tattoos and whatnot, the markings on his Goliath skin are bizarre. And no Goliath he runs into in this world is able to parse what tribe what region he comes from he's kind of this lost wanderer who eventually sidles up with the party when he determines that his fate is to go and hunt down these marks for the raven queen herself who put him on this realm i have this guy being uh maybe a bit of a joker but like he's mainly just dark confused i probably play a bit edgelordy with him and it has that interesting dichotomy of the goliath with a d6 base hit points I love it. Oh, that bothers me. Inherently, (laughs) that bothers me. It's a shadow sorcerer. He should bother everyone at the table. Okay. I am really torn. I was looking at these because I I didn't get my own subclass to cover, so I got to choose which one. And I realized that there is a really cool multi-classing aspect that I don't think people initially think of when it comes to sorcerers, and that is dipping into monk. Mm -hmm. Because thematically, you have way of the shadow for the shadow magic, or way of the four elements for the storm sorcery. Mm. And I really like the idea of, and I mean, it's so standard. I'm just going to go generic on this, but it's standard. The monk, the martial artist, with the magical abilities that he can innately cast by focusing. And, you know, it's all about key points, but then also sorcery points. Mm -hmm. And so there's a little bit that you got to manage on this. But think about how versatile you're going to be when it comes to leaning into your the flavor of your character. So I really like the idea of going with monk on this. And just to make it a little bit cooler, I would go Shatter Kai for uh, nice. shadow magic or Triton for storm sorcery. Hmm. What I like about this monk sorcerer that you just pitched is that that would be a character who probably always has a really good point. Ha. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> So this will be the last episode that Lily is a part of. (laughs) That's okay. As long as you all see my point. (laughs) No, that's really cool. Shatter Kai, what an overlooked race. So cool. Long live the Shadowfell. Okay, so... For my thing, um, I actually did think of this before Adam pitched in with the Warforged thing, but what I'm envisioning is a Warforged who was created in some kind of Franken-style lab and who, like, some magician or something harnessed the power of the storm to infuse this, like, robot with storm energy. But then when the infusion was happening, the robot, like, you know, couldn't contain all of it and so, like, maybe killed 
that person or whatever. And now this Warforged is just wandering around with like the soul of a storm inside of it. And it just like keeps like tearing it apart. And I also particularly like the idea of thunder being inside of this like plate armor creature like made out of metal. And so it's like kind of always got this bit of a, a bit of a rumble going on in its voice like this as it tries to keep it contained within itself. Oh, that's badass. The thing that I love about that too is if you're going to play with Eberron or even aspects of Eberron because you're, you're talking Warforged, mm-hmm. all of their really crazy things, their airships and their lightning rails and stuff are lightning elementals that are bound into these mechanics. Yeah. How would that Warforged feel just traveling? And would he sit there and try to break these creatures free? Yo, I oh, I bet you there's an a- elemental inside of it. Like that's... That's the real Ooh, secret. There we go. There we go. There's a plot hook. Level 18, your character does the sacrifice play and then bursts out of a, a huge size like storm elemental. Mm-hmm. 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 Oh. Dip a little bit into Druid and you can summon the elemental out of you. And now you got to fight an Elder Tempest. Oh, that's so cool. Oh, yeah. You could be the Primordial Tempest. That's mm-hmm. true. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so cool. And a, a Warforged Druid is just a hilarious concept to me. <laughs> I saw one the other day that was like a Warforged Druid of the Spores, just as an aside. And it was basically just a moldy Warforged. I it love was great. It. That is amazing. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys, do we have any final thoughts before we wrap up this episode on Sorcerers? This was a magical experience. Very nice. <laughs> Lily has taken my job as the as the pun master on yes. this episode. <laughs> it's twelve thirty for me. So. Lily, thank you so much for joining us on this one. Like, it's been an honor to have you here. It's been lots of fun. I hope we could do it again sometime. Oh, good. So you take back what you said before. I forgive you. You're welcome. <laughs> I have to sit in a room with uh, Adam and Terry, slinging their best puns back and forth. There ain't nothing you can do that won't add to the damage that those two have already done to me so you're more than welcome anytime yay well it was super awesome being here and just real fun to just nerd out for like two hours because you know i don't get (laughs) invited to a lot of these tables of us just nerding out so that was super exciting so thank you so much for having me Uh, we're we're glad to have you this has been fantastic well that's it for this week's episode on sorcerers you can find us on itunes spotify and youtube as well as dozens of other podcast apps you can also find us at www.itsamimic.com or email us at info at itsamimic.com. We also have our subreddit that is up and running. That's r slash itsamimic. And please check the show notes on all of the information on how to follow and subscribe to everything that Lily is doing as well. Thanks for listening to the It's Mimic podcast and make sure to check us out next week when we're covering monks. Woohoo! <laughs> You've reached the end of another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. Connect with us at itsamimic.com. Don't forget to subscribe and hit those share buttons. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Okay, so we've been talking about sorcerers for the entire time and, and the idea that uh, your powers manifest naturally and you're innately magical and so on and so forth. But I don't know about you guys, I read a lot of X-Men comics and stuff, and the mutants always get their powers, you know, when they hit puberty, and it's always at the worst freaking time, which makes me think of sorcerers. I mean, Mm -hmm. X-Men and mutants in Marvel Universe are just, they're just sorcerers. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. what is the worst scenario you guys can come up with for a magical ability to suddenly manifest? You want to roll initiative? Yeah, let's roll initiative on this one. All right. Okay, I got a 14 over here. I got a 13. I got a 13. 
Oh, Lily, we're rolling off. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Yeah, that's a nine. Oh my god, I got a nine as well. We're doing it one. Oh more my time. god, no way. That's it. We're Seven? never having a guest star again. <laughs> Are you shitting me? I should be recording this one more time. One no more way, time. really? All right, okay. I'm gonna say it first though. Three. Four. <laughs> Are you guys All right, kidding well, me? <laughs> that Are never you the same before. person as me? Oh my god. Okay. So Dan. Okay, yes. you're you're up first, and then Lily, and then me. <laughs> um, for for me, I think that the worst part, the worst possible moment to uh, have your powers manifest is, I'm a musician. I I, I I like to perform, so doing it while on stage in front of people would be really terrible, especially if it's one like all my clothes disintegrate or lesions <laughs> come out of my eyes or something like that. Definitely, me being on stage would be the worst for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, when I think about this question, the first thing that comes to mind is like, but what is my magical ability? Because I feel like there's worse scenarios depending on the ability. But if we just say like generic magical powers, I think yeah. that if we're going by they usually manifest around puberty, I would probably say like when I'm talking to my crush, when I'm when I'm tra- talking to someone <laughs> that I want to think I'm cool and they won't think that magic is cool. Yeah, that's always the worst time for stuff to Some go down. Some people's voice crack when they're in puberty. Other people's cause reality to crack. Yeah, or like yeah. lightning bolts. <laughs> I uh, I would have to say, see, in my head, every time that you get a new level and you start to get new spells, you have to go through this again. So in mm. game, you do this, what, 19 times? Hmm. So I'm really hoping that there's some sort of intimate moment with an NPC <laughs> while you guys are in town and the DMs is just level in, in between sessions and then the DM is sat there and is like, okay, I know what, what's coming here. And just boom. <laughs> I, and not, not, not something crazy, even, even like fairy fire, right? Or thaumaturgy and everyone in the inn can suddenly hear, oh yeah. Like that's got to be the worst. <laughs> but that kind of sounds like the best. <laughs> Why did it sound so awesome, though? Adam, why is your sorcerer the Kool-Aid man? I just have to ask that question. (laughs) He suddenly casts enlarged by accident. Oh, God. The flavor is the real magic. (laughs) Okay, bye.